0: State of emergency. We can't endure this anymore. We just simply can't.
1: Yeah, we came out to have a good time, and the fact that we have to go in early, it's, it was
2: just like, wow. Don't shut me down and leave somebody else open. Miami Beach again facing the challenge and the scrutiny. Thank you for this historic chance to join the highest court.
3: From South Florida to historic Supreme Court nominee. The dare to be a lawyer, the dare to go to Harvard, the dare to become a judge—witnesses to history and rough and tumble politics.
2: I can only wonder what's your hidden agenda? Is it too late, The big news of the week, all live this
3: week in South Florida. Good morning, glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putnam.
2: I'm Glenna Milberg and we begin at the beach, where a state of emergency imposed after a series of shootings survived a legal challenge and business backlash. The sudden emergency move came after two shootings in the midst of holiday week crowds in the South Beach Entertainment District.
3: That spurred the city manager to impose a midnight curfew on weekends and a 6 p.m. deadline for package stores to stop selling alcohol and then roadblocks in surrounding residential areas.
2: Residents back it largely, businesses there are fighting it, and those who came for a week of fun and sun, they have a variety of
3: reactions. Trent Kelly is on South Beach this morning for this first weekend under the state of emergency. Trent, good morning. Tell us what it's like out there. Well, Glenna and Michael, mind you, all of this is going on is just
4: across the causeway. The big Ultra Festival is taking place as well. Two different cities with two very different scenes. Here on the beach, however, it was another early end to the party as police were out in force, enforcing that midnight curfew. But again, on the other side of the bay, it was a party well into the night as tens of thousands packed into Bayfront for the huge Ultra Music Festival. You think I care about a curfew? I don't care about no curfew. Another early end to the spring break party on South Beach. Tourists left disappointed as police once again enforced the overnight curfew lasting from midnight until six in the morning.
5: It's just spring break, bro. It's my birthday, too. You know what I'm saying? And we've been playing this way before the curfew, and we kind of feel
4: like we're getting cheated. City officials enacting the curfew as part of an emergency order put in place following a pair of shootings along Ocean Drive last weekend. You want to be able to be safe around here when we walking around and, and trying to vacation. The South Beach curfew only affecting areas south of Dade Boulevard, the city going one step further, also ending all liquor store sales in the same area starting at 6 p.m. The beach is going to lose a lot of money. Yeah,
1: They're going to lose one. a lot of money over here.
4: That's all. Some businesses agree, leading the owners of Poppy Steakhouse and Treehouse Nightclub to file suit, claiming the city's curfew is too broad. A judge later denying that claim, with the business owners not planning to appeal. (laughs) Meantime, on the other side of the causeway, it was another night of beat dropping music as day two of the Ultra Music Fest got underway at Bayfront Park. Out of the nearly 60,000 in attendance for night one, police say they only made four arrests for drug possession. Fire rescue also evaluating 60 people for medical calls, with 14 having to be taken to the hospital, all of them described as minor and non-life threatening. And we did get an update from Miami police earlier. They tell us during day two of Ultra they made 10 arrests. Fire rescue meantime evaluated about 50 people yesterday for medical calls, with 16 having to be taken to the hospital again for non life threatening injuries. Meantime, back here on the beach. This is the final night of that emergency curfew, which again is set to take effect right at midnight. That is the very latest live from South Beach. I'm Trent Kelly local 10 news Michael Glenna back to you
2: appreciate that thanks so much Trent uh, covering South Beach and also ultra which actually is kind of apples and oranges which we can certainly
3: talk about yeah and we will probably Trent thanks very much all right Miami Beach Mayor Dan Gilbert has been at the tip of the iceberg and the spear and the call for change of the culture of South Beach he championed this curfew and he joins us now live Mayor Gilbert good morning glad to see you good morning Thanks for having me. All right, uh, Mayor Gelber, let's get to kind of the basic question. Uh, South Beach, kind of, we just saw the report. It's very quiet this morning. Uh, People, you know, obeyed, it, it seems, the curfew for the most part. But businesses are angry. They have lost a huge amount of revenue. So there is tranquility. But, boy, at what a cost. Is this what you wanted the curfew to achieve?
0: Well, we didn't really, I think, have a choice um, because I don't think you really, you can balance revenue against public safety. You know, we were trying very hard to manage spring break, which I think everybody knows is a difficult uh, management challenge. We had over 370 police officers out that day, most in South Beach, most in this area, Uh, but still we had uh, two consecutive nights of shootings or five people were shot and we were lucky. THAT, uh, YOU KNOW, THAT THEY WEREN'T, uh, THEY DIDN'T DIE. WE WERE LUCKY THAT MORE PEOPLE WEREN'T SHOT. WE HAD SEIZED UP TO THAT DAY 100 uh, GUNS. Uh, SINCE THEN, I THINK WE'VE uh, SEIZED ANOTHER 23 uh, WHEN WE STARTED THE CURFEW. SO, YOU KNOW, GIVEN THE FACT THAT THIS WAS HAPPENING, notwithstanding A HUGE CONCENTRATION OF POLICE AND GOODWILL AMBASSADORS THAT WE PUT ON THE STREET, WE JUST FELT LIKE WE HAD NO OPTION OTHER THAN TO STOP THE STATUS QUO FROM HAPPENING BECAUSE THE STATUS QUO WAS RESULTING IN JUST SIMPLY TOO MUCH DANGER FOR OUR GUESTS. SO I DON'T THINK WE HAD A CHOICE. AND I'M SORRY THAT FOLKS ARE LOSING MONEY uh, WITH THE POST-MIDNIGHT CROWD, BUT REALLY YOU CAN'T BALANCE REVENUE, RESORT TAXES AGAINST PUBLIC SAFETY.
2: You know it's worth it mayor to to say that miami beach government does work year-round to try to plan for this and message for this and boy deja vu it seems like we talk about this every big weekend but i I want to really go into the actual order that um declared a state of emergency it's kind of three and a half pages of whereas 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 but i think uh, correct me if i'm wrong we can boil this all down to just the headline that too many people overwhelming what is the availability and capability of law enforcement it do, well, would i think that it's be accurate think?
0: I, I think it's it's that except remember not only did we have our cops we uh, we had a lot of metro day police there we had a lot of florida highway patrol i appreciate the state sending some help and this happened on ocean drive within feet of of patrolling officers who were who rushed into the scene i i would say heroically with bullets uh, uh, firing, not knowing even who is firing the bullets, so you know, I—that's I, I, just not a scenario that our city or any city, frankly, should have to endure. Sure, uh, I can't.
2: I, absolutely. So, it—it it, those of us who are sort of watching this full time and also doing news full time. The first thing a lot of us think about here is if you're gonna call a state of emergency for two shootings, putting so many people in danger, putting officers in danger, boy, a lot of municipalities and cities in South Florida, should they be calling states of emergency for, for gun violence?
0: Well, this was a little uh, different than what happens in other places uh, in a few ways. Number one, it wasn't like this happened in a dark alley uh, or it happened, you know, like what happened to shooters I think a couple weeks ago in Fort Lauderdale where it was, a, a, you know, a, a fight over, um, you know, a girlfriend or something. This was sort of random shooting where uh, in the middle of spring break, with, despite police, people just were so out of control that this was just something that happened. The mix of guns into this has really created apparel, and I, I don't think it's particularly common in other areas. This is a very unique uh, scenario, And I, I want to add something else that's, I think, very important. Our spring break, it, you know, we didn't recruit it. We don't encourage it. It happens in South Beach. But the area where it happens is a residential community. Uh, literally, Flamingo Park has single-family residences, a multifamily residence. There are two elementary schools in the area where the curfew happened, right there on Washington Avenue and in South the 5th. There are uh, literally condominiums with people in them on Ocean Drive. And that's a, a unique uh, scenario. You know, people talk about Winwood. Wynwood really doesn't have that kind of profile. It's really just a commercial area. This area has got so much going on that you can't. Managing this kind of crowd with guns involved is just something that we couldn't allow to continue.
3: Yeah, yeah uh, Mayor Gelber, <clears throat> a really uh, controversial part of the state of emergency was the reaction from some black leaders in our community. You're certainly aware of it, and you refer to it in the op-ed that you wrote in the Miami Herald on Friday. Uh, One of those leaders, Stephen Hunter Johnson, who just served as the chair of the Miami-Dade Black Affairs Advisory Board, said the only emergency is that black people are on the beach. What is your reaction to that?
0: You know, it's very unfair. It's demonstrably untrue, and I categorically, categorically reject it. Uh, you know, we were trying to manage this for three weeks without a curfew. and actually it was it was relatively tame for those three weeks. but two nights in a row where five people are shot is not you know something you can look away from. Five people were shot despite an, a huge concentration of police and goodwill ambassadors, all of our best efforts, all of the counties, best efforts and still over two nights five people were shot indiscriminately on ocean drive by people who just had weapons and decided that uh, firing them into a crowd was something they wanted to do for whatever reason um you know it's if we really wanted a curfew we you know and that was why we we did it for racial reasons we w- would have done it three weeks earlier uh, but that's not fair because we were very much trying to manage it and by the way i i i mean I, all i'm those businesses that are being hurt, those are a lot of them are local businesses. I feel terrible for them, but I feel mostly terrible for five people who came here for spring break and as innocent bystanders go, ended up in the hospital uh, with bullet wounds. So it's really unfair to say this was, uh, you can't put a racial uh, lens on this simply because it's obvious we did it the morning after two consecutive nights of shooting. It was obviously based solely and only on behavior and a concern for public safety. So I mean, I don't know how anybody could, could look could say otherwise.
2: So let's put a geographical perspective on this. The stats show and, and we don't have them fully for this week yet, but compared to last week, it's uh, last year, excuse me. It is on track this year to match more than half of the crime perpetrated by people who live in Miami-Dade County, not the visitors who come from spring break, not the people, the kids from colleges who spend money, whatever money they have or can, but the people who come and take advantage of the crowds and the parties and the crazy from the, I I guess we call them the causeway crossers, who come and perpetrate crime. And in fact, one one of the people arrested in one of the shootings is from Hialeah. So does that kind of geography and criminal data change the way you can affect policy to protect those coming for spring break
0: listen i'd love to hear an idea that we haven't tried about how to protect people whether they're from uh you know whether whether they're from westchester uh, florida or westchester new york it doesn't matter to me we we have to protect them And, and it's a good point you make in a sense that it also makes the point that you know we're protecting visitors whether wherever they're from almost never is it a resident who's injured or a resident who's a perpetrator. We are policing a playground of other people. That's what our city does. And we accept that burden because that's sort of the economic model of not just our city, but of the region. It's, it is it is a destination city. Yeah. But that's the problem when you have the kind of a spring break tends to be a very raucous event because it's so young. All the spring breaks have been like that. The ones in Fort Lauderdale and Daytona Beach, they've all been uh, raucous events and that, that the cities that have, had them have not wanted them because it's so hard to manage but now when you put guns into it it doesn't matter where they're coming from Glenna whether they're coming from Hialeah or they're coming you know from Philadelphia it doesn't matter because if they're if they're guns involved it adds a whole nother challenge for us and and, and there's also fighting involved very often and and, and a lot of that is just too difficult for a residential community to endure even with an, an incredible concentration of policing which well, we have
3: yeah but mr mayor south south of 23rd street uh, it is mainly an entertainment district certainly south of 5th street there are lots of beautiful big condominiums it's it's not really yes i lived on miami beach above 23rd street i love living on the beach like you know here's here's the point i'd, I'd like to make and get you to comment on whether they're from hialeah or from philadelphia or chicago you know, we have heard most of these kids come. They've told our reporters, other reporters this week, hey, it's spring break. Anything goes on Miami Beach. I mean, they bring that attitude yeah. to Miami Beach. So how do you
0: stop that? Well, that's exactly what is. That's why we don't want spring break. I mean, people, you know, act like it's somehow this is just like all the other events. It's not. It's a young, raucous event. And 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 you are 100 percent right, Mike. Uh, they come here with an idea that they, you know, and it was like that in Fort Lauderdale, you know, where anything goes. It's a rite of passage is what it is for a lot of uh, a, a lot of young people. And I understand that, except that, uh, you know, it is a residential area. Flamingo Park is 100% rigid, residential, that community. Uh, south of it is overwhelmingly residential. That community, and even uh, on Ocean Drive, we have condominiums with yeah. a lot of residents there, and of course, Collins Park does as well. So all these areas have residents there, and yet it's a rite of passage for other people. And I always say when someone says, uh, "You know, Dan, you have to understand, it's a rite of passage for people," and I my response is always the same: Do you want a rite of passage on your on your front yard? Do you want the the noise and the and the drunkenness and then the uh, the cascading to uh, fighting and then gunplay i mean none of that is really acceptable and we don't want it we we try to manage it the best we can we've tried a lot of different ideas to manage it but the truth of the matter is that it's just hard because people keep coming here notwithstanding
2: you, um, you mayor, have been very clear on your intention and your desire to change the culture mm-hmm. of the visitors to South Beach. That's something we want to talk about after this quick commercial break. Speaking sure. Of- Let's leave that. We are back with Miami Beach Mayor Dan Gelbert talking about the spring break state of emergency and Mayor. We were talking about a longer term sort of 30,000 feet plan to yep. change the whole culture. Uh, get rid of the entertainment district. That kind of went public in a very awkward way a couple of months ago when these audio tapes from a meeting that you had attended with some developers, former Miami Beach mayor, Philip Levine, uh, where he solicited donations from people with money to donate to candidates that they could pull the controls with and get things done. You told them that uh, whatever government needs, you would provide, update that effort for us.
0: Well, I've been saying this uh, in not just that meeting, everywhere I, I can find people who will listen, that we need to get rid of our entertainment-only district. Uh, you know, we're not the Miami Beach of 20 or 30 years ago where we needed to only have uh, all-night parties in order to, you know, attract people here. We have an incredible art and culture scene, large part because of the ballet, the New World, the, the Bass, Art Basel, food and wine, all these things have have come to our city. Uh, AND OF COURSE, JUST OVER OUR BORDER IS ANOTHER CRITICAL MASS uh, NEAR THE ARCH OF Barden of, of CULTURE. SO TO ME, WE HAVE SOLD OURSELVES SHORT BECAUSE WE HAVE THIS ENTERTAINMENT-ONLY DISTRICT WHEN WE OFFER SO MUCH MORE IN, in TERMS OF HISTORIC ARCHITECTURE, BEAUTIFUL WEATHER, BEACHES. SO I, I DON'T KNOW WHY WE FEEL LIKE THAT'S WHAT WE SHOULD BE. doing. SO I'VE BEEN ENCOURAGING INVESTMENT IN THIS AREA WITH A VIEW THAT IT OUGHT TO, INSTEAD OF JUST, YOU KNOW, BARS ALL NIGHT LONG, THAT WE HAVE Boutique offices, uh, commercial residential, galleries, shops, because I think that's the destination we should be. And we've made some progress towards that, by the way. There are a lot of those investments are coming to our city. And in fact, we put ordinances out and we have some more percolating, which I think would encourage that. It's not going to happen overnight. But that is what I think is the reimagination of the entertainment district as an art deco, a true art deco cultural district, AND I THINK THAT WOULD um, would HANDLE A LOT OF OUR ISSUES. SO INSTEAD OF A uh, COLINS AVENUE WITH JUST AIRBNB'S AND uh, TREMENDOUS AMOUNTS OF PEOPLE, YOU KNOW, LOOKING TO PARTY ALL NIGHT AND DRINK THOSE BIG DRINKS. AND IT WOULD BE SOMETHING, YOU KNOW, THERE MIGHT BE OFFICES THERE, uh, YOU KNOW, uh, uh, CONDOMINIUMS AND OTHER THINGS, GALLERIES, BECAUSE THAT'S REALLY WHAT I THINK OUR CITY'S uh, PROFILE IS. And, AND and IT'S OUR PROFILE IN OTHER PLACES IN OUR CITY. but certainly not in certain areas of South Beach and certainly not in March in those areas.
2: Have you had, um, when you have these discussions, because the the profile of the all night partiers and the big drink drinkers right now during spring break is largely a black American audience. Mm-hmm. So when you have those conversations with black leaders, how do they hear
0: that? Well, well first of all, it's, I'm not talking about doing it in March. Uh, I'm talking about doing it 12 months a year, so it's, you know, we have a, we have a young crowd. It is, in March, it tends to be highly African-American, that's true, but it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty diverse crowd throughout the year, but I, but for me, I think what we need to do is to be the art and culture destination that we've become most of the time, and, and the entertainment-only district just doesn't make any sense anymore. You know, I, how do people hear that? I hope they hear it this way, and that is that, uh, this is a commercial mixed use area, as I talked about earlier in the show, and that it doesn't make sense to have an entertainment only district, uh, you know, like to become bourbon Street on the ocean. It just that doesn't make sense. And I hope people understand why a mixed use com- uh, community that has lots of uh, of residents and schools and churches and synagogues in it doesn't want to be an entertainment only district. So it's not based on anything other than, really the uses uh uh, of this area and what we want it to be and that's and it makes so much sense by the way and and by the way i suspect if it is reimagined it's going to have an incredibly diverse uh, attendance people are uh, uh, of all types of people want to be there and that's exactly what we want it is true younger people have been a problem during spring break but that's not race based obviously because every every city in florida that's had a SPRING BREAK HAS TRIED TO STOP THE SPRING BREAK BECAUSE THE AGE OF PEOPLE COMING TO MAKE A STATEMENT uh, and, AND HAVE THEIR RITE OF PASSAGE IN YOUR COMMUNITY JUST DOESN'T MAKE SENSE FOR THE COMMUNITY. SO THAT'S NOT OBVIOUSLY uh, a RACIAL. BUT WE NEED, we need a, a MORE OF A CULTURAL DISTRICT. AND I THINK WE CAN DO IT. AND WE'RE STARTING TO DO IT, BUT IT WILL TAKE TIME.
3: MAYOR DAN GILBERT, ALWAYS GOOD TO SPEAK WITH YOU. THANK YOU. I KNOW THIS Thank HAS you. BEEN A DIFFICULT PERIOD FOR YOU IN THE CITY. Hope you get through it uh, safely.
0: Thank you and let's go (laughs) kids.
3: Okay, we agree with you there. (laughs) All right, we're gonna continue our conversation about spring break with the chair of the Miami-Dade Black Affairs Advisory Board. That's next. Yeah, the holiday weekends with big crowds are not a new phenomenon to Miami Beach. The roots go back at least two decades to Urban Beach Week and music festivals that attracted big crowds for big names in hip-hop.
2: That actually is one of the reasons many see this racial component to the policing and the effort to change the culture, uh, which, as you saw, beach leaders refute. Pierre Rutledge is the chair of Miami-Dade's Black Affairs Advisory Board. Pierre, it's great to have you on the show and it's a long time coming, so welcome.
3: <laughs> Pierre, we're Thank glad. you for having me this morning, Michael and Glenna. We are, we are glad to see you. Uh, Pierre, I'm sure you just heard Mayor uh, Gilbert say that the The state of emergency, the crackdown on the beach was the result of bad behavior and not racial uh, policy. What is your answer to that?
5: Uh, Michael, um, first of all, thanks for having me on your show this afternoon. Um, It was revealing the sentiments of the mayor. I reject that. I think it was more of a planning and a sensitivity issue um, in dealing with people of um, African-American descent.
2: Explain that because I think at the very end of the segment where we really did press the mayor on that a little bit, it sounded to me like it was a, an age thing, more than a race thing. I think that uh, it sounded like the mayor wants older, more cultural, uh, culturally aware, people interested in Art Deco, people interested in galleries, not 20 somethings out till five in the morning. Did you hear that at all?
5: Then I heard that, but I also heard the mayor saying that they don't want South Beach um, to have spring break when it comes to um, folks who look like me. Um, oftentimes, I really don't like to pull the race card, but you have to call balls and you have to call strikes. What the mayor has said, and I'm going to take you on a little journey. In the 80s, South Beach was what we see on Miami Vice. In the 90s, Gianni Versace, the famous designer, moved into Ocean Drive and it became something different. Then we brought in Urban Beach Week um, during Memorial Day and everything was fine. Fast forward another 20 years, all of a sudden, those things that sustained South Beach um, for many years are no longer wanted. And I am happy that the mayor has finally said the date don't want South Beach to be any part of spring break, whether it's Urban be- Beach Week or spring break earlier in March.
3: Yeah, Pierre, I have to say, uh, what I heard the mayor say was, we don't want violence, we don't want bad behavior, uh, and we don't really, as Glenna said, want a lot of young people. We would like older, you know, a more a little bit more sedate people to come, have a good time, spend money at the restaurants, the bars, hotels. Um uh, i I really didn't hear a racial component, but apparently you did.
5: Well, Michael, I, I'll take you back to 2019 when you had some ocean drive executives called the spring breakers, classless, uneducated, um, people who cause problems. We have to embrace it. It is what it is. Um, and we're trying to look at solutions to the problem. Will they come back next year? I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but if they do, then what are we going to do?
3: Yeah, well, what, what is, in your view, and you are the chair of this important board, what is a, uh, a solution or two? What could the beach do to sort of uh, ameliorate this really bad situation where they simply shut everything down and nobody uh, can be over there, really, between midnight and 6 a.m.? No booze? Well, Michael, s- some of these things are phenomenal. The state of emergency right a
5: curfew are we saying that every time that there's a gun discharge a fight or civil unrest on miami beach regardless of who it is that we're going to declare a state of emergency and we're going to implement a curfew we'll be watching last year this time as a board the black affairs advisory board offered our assistance to help come to the table to share some of idea, our ideas on how we can make this thing successful. As far as I know, we were never called to the table. Secondly, if well, you want well, well, to. Well, before,
2: before you go on to secondly, that's okay. really interesting. What, yeah. what are some of those things that you proposed that right. were not heated?
5: Number one, you have to bring the demographic to the table and basically ask them, what do you want? How do we make this experience uh, a wholesome and safe experience for you? None of them were at the table. Number two. You have to give your visitors something to do. Right now, we offer beach and bars. We tried programming with the Miami Beach Live, but we missed it again. No dispersion against these um, artists, but we brought Alana Morissette, who was hot in the 90s, and we brought Bernadette um, Peters. Peters, And you canceled her concert.
2: That's a Broadway. Most of these, a broadway most singer of these spring breakers weren't know.
5: even born when these when this art, these artists were hot. Why is it that they can do it in Miami Gardens with jazz in the gardens, right? Um, and other events, rolling loud. Why is it that they can do it in Bayfront Park with ultra, but we just can't get it right on Miami Beach? So, so why
2: was we, why wasn't what what was the answer to you? The, the programming idea has been around a couple mm-hmm. of years. So that was never really addressed, programming the kind of concerts and music mm-hmm. that would entertain people who enjoy, you know, with all due respect to Bernadette Peters, she's not it. <laughs> so what was the answer when you proposed that again? What, what was the answer to that?
5: It was too late. The city of Miami Beach had already um, spent almost $300,000 for someone who wasn't even from Miami to come up with programming. They involved some folks um, wow. to come to the table to give them ideas on what the programming looked like. Well, you're doing programming for folks, and you never ask them, what, what do they want? What is their interest? Yeah. I may say Alain said, I may say Frankie Beverly and Mays. But most
3: of the Spring Breakers weren't even born when these two groups were hot, these two artists were hot. We we understand. Bernadette Peters is sort of my generation. I think kids who are 20 have no idea. She's a great performer, but, you know, totally different uh, genre of music. Pierre Rutledge, hold on. We've got more questions. Back with the chair of the Black Appears Advisory Board in just a minute.
2: We're back with the Miami-Dade Black Affairs Advisory Board Chair, Pierre Rutledge. Uh, We're going to talk about a couple of different things, but before we switch off of spring break, um, Pierre, I wanted to sort of get your perspective on the stats that half of the crime and chaos on spring break week is actually imported right from across the bay and local criminals. Uh, because they are charged, and many of them do have records, um, more than half of what's going on is is really coming from there. And I, I would like to get your perspective on that.
5: Well, Glenn, here we go again. Um, using names, like, using words like criminals. You don't know that to be the case.
2: Well, people who commit My crimes mean- are criminals. That's really the definition okay, of so what I meant. Okay,
5: that, so that becomes race-neutral. That, right. That,
2: that was my intention. Commit a neutral, crime, a you're criminals. a criminal. Yes. Mm-hmm.
5: Exactly. What I want to get at is it doesn't matter if they're from across the bridge or if they're from Washington, DC. It doesn't matter. These are visitors to Miami Beach who should be treated fairly and there should be some programming to deal with it. And when you do that and it doesn't happen, then we own it. But it hasn't happened and we've been looking for excuses.
2: So do you think I want the to programming- direct you back. Do you think Can I pro- direct
5: you, Black, to the boycott of Miami Beach years ago? This is nothing new on Miami Beach that we're going through, but we're willing as a community and as a board to help work through it. We're, we're here to find solutions. Right, Obviously, so I guess my, my
2: question to you is, the, pr- the programming for the visitors, for the legit people who come here to have a great time, do you think the fact that people are coming in to take advantage of the crowds, would programming and that kind of thing go a long way to fix that. Is that one of the components?
5: Absolutely. You look at, on the other side of the bay, um, it was a concert. Rolling Loud is a concert. Jazz in the gardens, Gardens is a concert. Spring break is what? Beer, bars, and beach. Glennon, when we look at this thing, we always have to remember, no matter if we want to call them criminals or not, we have to be equitable, Diverse and inclusive in everything we do, regardless of whether they're from Liberty City or Washington,
3: D.C. It doesn't matter. We we get the message. Pierre, let me ask you, I know that there is in your family, you read a very good piece in the Miami Herald where you were talking about the fact that your grandmother worked on the beach and she had in 1936 was required as all black people were required then have an id card in order to be in miami beach so there is a history there talk a little about about your grandmother and that id card please
5: well michael historically miami beach for before integration was a place of work you could go over there and work but when the work hours were over there was no ocean drive with the bars and and restaurants you had to come back across the bridge and in order to do that they actually gave you an id with your name and your picture on it like a
3: license to work on miami beach if you were african-american right and that lasted Uh, until 1964 when the federal civil rights act was passed that is when that stopped And, and you're right michael we've
5: seen a pattern it ebbs and flows 64 then we moved up to the 80s when ocean drive was basically gutted it was part of what you saw on um, Miami Vice and Scarface and then the late Gianni Versace came, then we had a boycott along the way I'm not sure of the year where we were boycotting Miami Beach and the economic impact is what brought them to the table. Yeah, I submit that if we take the economics out of spring break and they start missing the money um, the bars start closing down and and the beaches aren't full and the hotels are not at 90% occupancy, then we'll get their attention. All we wanna do, Michael, we want everybody to come and have a safe, wholesome environment and it works both ways. Um, government's gonna have to get involved, is gonna have to get involved and our kings and queens who come here um, to Miami Beach from around this country who see the promotions that said Miami Beach live, when they come to Miami Beach, it's not live for them, it's live for somebody else. Let's be fair, let's be equitable, let's be inclusive. That's all that we ask. And as a board, we are volunteering our time to come to the table and try. That's all we can do, Michael. But I think that the optics nationally, as the mayor said, are really bad. I've had folks text me, call me, say, hey, be careful on Miami Beach. They have a state of emergency, which would normally come when you have a natural disaster, hurricane, civil unrest, an armed conflict or pandemic. None of what happened last weekend meets that criteria. I'm sorry.
2: Pierre I'm not Rubinch. an attorney,
5: but I'm just reading the definition.
2: We um, we are out of time. You have our complete support in everything fair and equitable now and always. And I hope as the chair of the B- AAB, you will be back often on our program. Thanks so much.
3: Pierre,
5: thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me and I'm available at any time. Excellent. Great.
3: Alright, up next, the historic nomination on the Supreme Court.
2: Her ties to South Florida and the support right here at home. My reality when I was born in 1970 and went to school in Miami, Florida was completely different. I went to a diverse public High, junior high school, high school, elementary school.
3: Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown Jackson, as you heard, she's made history, and she began the journey to the court at Palmetto High School in South Miami Dade.
2: This week's Senate hearings for the judge who could be the first Black woman to sit on the nation's highest court, they were riveting for a lot of reasons. And this week there were watch parties around the country for the Black Women's Leadership Collective, and this one you're looking at was in a uh, space in Opa and it was attended by a who's who of Miami Dade's most active and engaged black women leaders. And among them, the organizer, Yolanda Cash Jackson, who is a government law attorney, very active in a roster of civic and charitable organizations. And right here with us live today, Yolanda, great to see you.
3: Welcome Yolanda, great to have you on. Great to be here. So as an accomplished black woman attorney, watching an accomplished black woman judge, you know, be bettered and act with, I thought, grace in the, under fire uh, in Washington at these hearings. What what went through your mind? What were you thinking?
1: Well, I wanted to say to her that you're not alone. And that was the whole point of us having these watch parties so that she was not in the room alone. Um, as a black woman lawyer, we understand some of what she was feeling. And she did act under grace. I would call it uber grace. I don't know that I could have done that. But we were very, very proud uh, as a Black woman lawyer. This is something that you think that you might want to attain. And we just know the struggle to get there.
2: You know, so much of that process, we we actually, in full disclosure, we talked about this on Monday when I was with you at that watch party. So much of this Mm -hmm. process is political. And you told me on Monday, you said, I hope they will treat her as they would do any other nominee, did they? Well,
1: you know, I did a little research on my own and you know, this process is a process. It is partisan, it can be partisan, it can be mean. We saw that with Kavanaugh. We saw that uh, with back with Clarence Thomas. But at the end of the day, she is qualified. She is super qualified. Harvard grad twice, uh, just a stellar judicial record. And unfortunately, because of politics, they picked out very small uh, pieces of her stellar career. But it is a process, and she made it through. And she will make it through.
3: Yeah, well, let's uh, look into that. Obviously, at one point, she was a federal public defender and defended, Mm -hmm. you know, some criminals, people accused of serious crimes, including some of the terrorists down there at Guantanamo Bay. And as we all know, the Constitution, you certainly know better than I, Constitution guarantees anybody accused of crime the right to counsel. So uh, here we have these members of the Senate Judiciary Committee all of them lawyers, experienced lawyers, sort of saying, well, yeah, but you you represented some bad guys, so in a way, doesn't that make you bad? I'm simplifying it, but wasn't that sort of the message that we got?
1: Yes, and it was illogical. She's a public defender. Her job is to defend the public. And so that's exactly what she did. Once again, politics gets in the way. Uh, so that people can put forth their own agenda. And I understand that. But at the end of the day, she is a qualified African-American woman who has done an amazing job, who has an amazing career, has shown amazing character, grace, and perseverance.
2: You know, uh, we had done some reporting, and she actually talked about being on the debate team at Palmetto High. We we had spoken right. to her uh, debate partner, and, um, and thinking about how debate really frames not only your ability to argue, but your ability to argue both sides, even something that you might not believe in, which is such a, a great skill to be a lawyer and a judge. And, and I wonder if you, as a South Florida person who is deeply entrenched in South Florida, kind of opine on what you think their, the local angle, the local experience really means in this process for her?
1: Well, she talked about the the t- the year that she went to Palmetto. That was just about the time that schools integrated here in Miami-Dade County. It's mm-hmm. ironic that you may not know it, but Pierre Rutledge and I grew up on the same street uh, in Liberty City.
2: Oh, I wish um, you we were have- all here at the table with <laughs> us today. That would have been yes. much more fun. And- and our parents
1: are all from uh, Dade County Public School uh, teachers. Hmm. We're we're school kids, and we understand the requirement to be excellent. We understand the complexity of Miami-Dade County's uh, system of of ethnicities and and blends of ethnicities. I when I started practicing law, her father was a Dade County School Board attorney. As I just came into the practice, so we are used to adjusting. We're used to having to exude grace under pressure. And Miami-Dade County is a great teacher for that. I
2: think that's a really interesting, I just want to put an exclamation point on the end of it. Cause all I think of is um, backwards and in heels, but being a black <laughs> yes. woman adds a whole other level to that. Does it not?
1: You know, you learn how to persevere. Her story, when she talked about the anonymous woman who tapped on the shoulder? We have those stories. I have one at the first firm that I went to. Her name happened to be Glenda, and she worked in the kitchen. But it's, it's those kind of stories of people telling you that they are proud of you. Pierre talked about his grandmother having an ID card. I still have my grandmother's ID card from oh, 1964. Wow. We wow. are used to it. We learn how to persevere. We learn that we have to uh, uh, make sure that our craft is perfected so that we can deal. Uh, under pressure. Yeah. There's no there is no substitution for grace. There's no substitution for the fact that she has a spiritual connection that allows her to endure even when she does not deserve it. Yeah. You but know, you, yet she persisted.
3: Yeah, Yolanda, I also thought as I watched the hearing, she also, you know, uh showed great magnanimity and a, a kind of an ability to withstand these, you know, I thought frankly, some racist or ugly attacks from people like Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, Tom Cotton, uh, where I think what they were trying to do was to irritate her so much that she would snap back at them, you know, and and make a kind of a, a sharp remark, critical remark back to them. And then they could say, oh, well, she doesn't have the temperament to be a judge. Wasn't that sort of going on there? I think that that was going
1: on, but did she not show that she had the temperament? I wouldn't have. I mean, the left earring would have been off by <laughs> some of those questions. But I do want to. We have to talk about Cory Booker. Cory Booker brought it home. Brought
2: the house down. And I just want to. I want to let you know that on Time Television, we can't talk about Cory Booker right now. But he did bring the house down.
3: Yeah, he did. And so
2: did you. And we so appreciate Thank your you. time. Love you a lot.
3: Thanks, Jelena. Bye-bye. We'll be right back.
2: (laughs) We thank you so much for being here this hour with us. And remember, we are online at local10.com 24-7.
3: And remember, as always, stay informed, get involved. Go Canes, beat Kansas.